This is the Voice Podcast Network. Welcome back to episode eight of the Turf and Burn podcast with your co-host Caroline and Dylan. This is going to be our final episode of season one as the school year closes out. Our spring semester is ending this week. So Dylan and I will be on a brief hiatus over the summer before we return back in the fall with all your favorite and current sports headlines with our team biases. Um, But kicking us off with our last episode of the season, we're diving right in into the NHL playoffs. Are we surprised? No. (laughs) My favorite sport. Dylan Dylan was just talking about this before the podcast. He's so excited for us to pick back up in the fall so that we can talk all things baseball because you know that that's, that's Dylan's number one sport. That's his expertise. But right now we're in hockey season. 100%. I think when we look at this, by the time we come back in August or September, we'll have an NHL champion. We'll have an NBA champion. We'll almost be at week one of the NFL season, and we'll also be in the middle of the playoff hunt, or if the Mets aren't in the playoff hunt, I won't be talking baseball, but we'll have that (laughs) happening as well in September. But for now, we're going to continue on the theme of talking about the NHL. We're going to talk about the NBA playoffs. And then, of course, we're going to round things out with my glorious last episode of the semester talking Formula One that I finally learned and prepared for. But as you just mentioned, let's kick things off with the NHL playoff series. We're, believe, I believe, semifinals is what you want to call this right now? No, eight. It's top There's eight, no so it's yeah. just like quarterfinals. Sure. Yeah, Let's like call conference. Yeah, like not. I don't even know what the official I don't know if there's names a name. are. To be All right, honest. but we're in the final eight teams right now. Let's get into it first. Talking about the Canes versus the Devils. Of course, since the last episode, the Rangers lost Game Seven. Yep. They proceeded to fire their head coach. I'm petitioning to become the next head coach of the Islanders at this yeah. point. But your thoughts on the series so far? Because obviously, you're the Hurricanes fan of the group. First of all, no one believed in me when I said Devils and Seven on the podcast. So I would just like to say that is another, another playoff prediction where I correctly predicted Mm -hmm. the Stanley Cup playoffs. We have Florida Panthers beating Boston Bruins, kind of. I was a doubter of the Bruins. We have Devils and Seven. We have another prediction where I said Panthers of the Leafs. We'll get to that later. But all I'm saying is I'm kind of on a roll. Um, but my thoughts are, I think, my main question is, is where is the goaltending gone in, specifically in this series, where, so game one um, of this, of the second round, we have Canes winning five to one. Game two, we have the Canes winning again at home six to one. And then game three, we're at um, Devils, we're in New Jersey, and the Devils win eight to four. And through the first two games, the narrative was always, who is Lindy Ruff, the Devils head coach, going to play and put in goals? So he started with Akira Schmidt, the rookie 22-year-old sensation goalie that helped the Devils beat the Rangers. But he's gone back to Vanacek throughout the games as the Canes have really put on the goals. And to be honest, it hasn't really been an, it, like the fault of the goalies. It's more that the Devils just could not play the playoff style. They couldn't keep up to the Canes. They couldn't keep up with the Canes forechecking. They couldn't keep up with the... Um, intense playoff style that the Canes were playing. But then with game three, once they went back home, all of a sudden they turn it around, they bring the physicality, and Canes actually went to their rookie goalie in Peter Kachetkov, um, which is an interesting decision. But it seems like the Devils really turned it around. And to be honest, I believe in the Canes still. I said Canes in six. But if we look at round one, Devils were down 0-2, and then they ended up winning in seven games. So I'm hoping if Canes can win game four, I would feel much more confident. And, of course, game four will be taking place tomorrow, technically yesterday by the time you all are listening to this episode. I think it's also a situation that reminded that the Devils played in a grueling seven-game series, and not to make any excuses for a slow game one or a game two, but it could be, as we mentioned with the playoff wildcard teams a couple weeks ago, and that you're fighting so hard for that one series you put all your effort into winning that game seven or sneaking into the playoffs. Now who knows if you're kind of out of energy, you're tired, you're playing hurt for game one and game two. It's also a road game, so Carolina obviously had the huge home ice. Look at me getting that term right now on this last episode. And then all of a sudden you come back to Jersey, and there is this sense of familiarity of, okay, we've been down 0-2 before. 
We're not going to panic. We're not going to worry. Let's just go on an offensive outburst of eight goals scored in the span of one game. I'm confident in the Devils. I know I initially said I don't want the Devils to make it far, but I kind of like this narrative storyline of going down 0-2 and ending up winning series. Devils in seven. Make it happen. I'm going to say that that's going to be the final prediction of this series because I'm going to blame game one and game two on slow, being injured, being still recovering from an important last series, and then all of a sudden we get to Carolina, who had an easy road against the Islanders and all of a sudden could face some adversity against the New Jersey Devils. I would just like to say that I'm pretty sure Dylan is going against his word from episode seven where he said he would back the Canes. I did. Yeah, so I'm not liking this switching up on the podcast. (laughs) I can't believe you wouldn't support my team like that, but, I mean, Dylan predicted the Rangers winning the Stanley Cup, and here they are losing in round one, and, of course, that didn't go well with their fan base, and they fired Gerard Gallant, like Dylan was mentioning earlier, which I thought was a really, really... Insane reaction, to be honest. I mm-hmm. think Chris Drury, the GM of the Rangers, is going to regret that. I think Gerard Gallant has seen a ton of success. He's one of the big reasons why the Rangers were able to rebuild, rebuild, retool so quickly and get back into the playoffs. And they did just make it to the Eastern Conference Finals last season. So I can't – I mean, if you base it off of just getting out, off the, out of the first round and you immediately fire your coach, like then all other – I don't know – seven teams would have fired their coaches yeah. as well so I'm like I'm I'm interested to know the decision making behind that but I do think that there were some questions in terms of maybe Gerard Gallant wasn't good about getting the younger players on the ice there there were questions about his line matchups and I think um the GM and also head coach didn't really get along so and talking to a couple of Rangers fans and again these are biased completely biased as well as probably emotional Rangers fans yes. coming off a loss but their claim is that after two to three years, his message sort of goes stale in clubhouses and that this was that point and that he took them as far as he could. And then this year's regression is a sign that maybe the Rangers are getting tired of his message. It's time for a new coach to come in, new blood. I don't think any Rangers fans are calling for a shakeup of the core, although they have a lot of impending free agents, which could mean that the team's going to look different this year. But it's an interesting situation in New York because this isn't a rebuilding team. This is a really good team who's firing their coach. So some coach is going to come in with a great roster, and the expectations are going to be high, potentially quarterfinals, potentially make it all the way to the Cup. Who knows what the expectations for the Rangers will be based on their offseason, but certainly an interesting position now. And I don't think Gerard Gallant will be on the sidelines, like not in play next year. Someone is going to be snatching him up for sure, whether it's in Long Island or another team that's looking for a head coach. I know, Dylan really wants Gerard Gallant to be the head coach of the Islanders, but, you know, one head coach, or I guess ex-head coach, that I really hope to be getting a head coaching job again is Bruce Bruce Boudreaux, (laughs) who I love. I think he's the epitome of fun. I think he's exactly what the league needs to grow the game. I think he would be a great fit in Calgary, where it just seems like the locker room is completely dead inside, (laughs) where a lot of – it was actually reported – that multiple Calgary Flames players have now rescinded their trade requests following the Daryl Sutter firing that we reported on last week. So I'm interested to see if they'll bring in Bruce Boudreaux or if they'll look at someone internally. Um, But I also think Dylan and I were talking about this earlier that maybe the Islanders take a look at Bruce, even though that would be a complete 180 from the current direction of where the team is at and the current team culture. But if you want fun, not saying that Bruce teams don't play defense but there's definitely much more emphasis on offense on letting the kids play and that would be a complete culture change from Lou Lamorello for the Islanders and I think also when you look at Bruce and I know he's 68 years old so there's always that question at what age are you going to retire or you're going to say I'm done never I think the way that things ended in Vancouver for him and sort of treated I think everyone generally says this was an awful way to fire him sort of Everyone knew it wasn't his fault, but they still used him as a lame duck scapegoat type of thing. I think, given his illustrious career, that's not how he wants to go out. And if there's one team who has a short-term, two- to three-year window of contention, maybe it's the Rangers, just saying. But if there's a team like that, that he could immediately inherit a winner, probably not go into a rebuilding team, but maybe inherit a winner, coach them for two to three years, get a ring, or at least make it far... 
and go out standing on top like a champion, that could be the way his career ends. Yeah, and I do know there's a lot of questions with his playoff success or lack of playoff success, <laughs> especially in Game 7s. So that's kind of the reputation he has. But he's such a fun, lovable guy. And he would really help your team make the playoffs. Like, in terms of his overall NHL record, it's really good. And... For a team like the Islanders, where I think they're built for the playoffs, I mean, not this playoffs, but <laughs> recently against Thanks. Tampa in the past couple of years where they've made it to the conference finals um, and they've made the top four, I think he's really crucial in helping them get into the playoffs. And I think just the team mentality of having the veterans in there, they would be able to have a strong enough culture and locker room presence where they can take control and be able to grind out wins in the playoffs. So I think Bruce would be really helpful in terms of getting – the team into the playoffs because I know we were really questioning whether or not Islanders were making the playoffs for the majority of this season so I mean they they snuck in clearly but I think having Bruce would definitely help but it would again be a very big disparity in culture from what it currently is with Lou. Speaking of teams that might need a fire sale or a shake up the Toronto Maple Leafs after finally overcoming their drought of winning a playoff series a week ago are now down three to zero against the Panthers what do you think happens either, A, if the sweep happens, and then, B, do you actually think the sweep could happen? I think the sweep, honestly, really could happen, especially because Leafs are going to be playing away at Panthers. We talked about how statistically this season more teams, more of the away teams are winning, but Panthers at home, I just think they're going to be able to keep it up. I truly think it's actually going to be Panthers in five. I think Leafs will win one game because sweeps in the NHL are really difficult and in playoffs in general. But this was my prediction that I think was pretty accurate. We won't know until after this podcast gets uploaded whether or not Panthers truly win this round. But I think there's only been three or four teams in NHL history that have overcome a 3-0 playoff deficit. And I believe one of them was actually the Maple Leafs in like Mm -hmm. the mid-1900s. And then we have the 2010 Philadelphia Flyers, and then I believe the 2014 LA Kings against the San Jose Sharks. And there might be one more in the Islanders, but there's really very, very few in NHL history, and I don't see the current Toronto Maple Leafs adding to that statistic. I think they become one of the teams that get swept or lose in five. And I think a big reason for this is there's just been no effort from their core group of players, and they've made some costly mistakes. Like, there just hasn't been a lot of effort. There hasn't been a lot of um, defensive responsibility. We saw Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, like, just completely turn over the puck, resulting in two Panthers goals within 20 seconds of each other in Game 2. And then Game 3 was just zeros across the boards where they had zero assists, zero goals, zero penalty minutes, zero block shots, zeros, everything. So they were kind of just neutral. But you don't want that from your stars. Like, you need them to be having a positive impact on the game, especially when you see how much Matthew Kachuk is just completely riling up his team and leading it to victory. So that's not what you want when you have, like, 11-plus when you have players getting paid $11-plus plus million per year. So I definitely think it's interesting because the Leafs general manager in Kyle Dubas, his contract is up at the end of this summer. So I think it'll be hard for the Leafs to bring him back. I thought after the first round, we were like, oh, he's 100% coming back now because the Leafs finally got out of that playoff drought. But if they go out, especially if they go out losing four in a row to Florida, I honestly don't see management coming back. I think there's a big fire sale coming up. And just to clarify on the previous statement, there are four successful 3-0 comebacks, including the Maple Leafs in 1942, the Islanders in 1975, the Flyers in 2010, and the Kings in 2014. Yeah. Alrighty. So I think that's it for that series. If you're ready to go on to the next one as well, we have the Kraken up two game to one after a dominant win over the Stars. Game three was 7-2, as you mentioned in our notes here that you're talking about. Another expansion team. I was the one that said that watch out, the Kraken are about to go on a run. So here we go. Correct Dylan prediction. We'll see if that happens. But your thoughts on that series so far? Yeah, I mean, I see the stars evening it up again. I just think (laughs) I have to root for the stars. But I think the Kraken are just honestly a force to be reckoned with. I still, I really shouldn't be surprised by the Kraken at this point. I mean, they literally beat Colorado and now they're up 2-1 in the series over the stars. But I just think, where is Jake Ottinger? Where is the goaltending? <laughs> I would like to know. Surprisingly, Philip Grubauer is out, out goaltending. 
Jake Ondra, which is really surprising considering his metrics last year where he was him and the, the goaltending tandem of the Kraken were just like bottom of the league. I think the worst out of all 32 probably of teams almost in expected goals for or expected goals against, sorry. But to be honest, I think we were just talking about the depth of this team where with the Stanley Cup playoffs, a lot of times, like we were saying with the Leafs, a lot of times your top players don't show up or you need to neutralize those top players. So are you going to get your depth scoring? Are you going to get your third and fourth liners to score and contribute? Are you going to get your blue liners to contribute? So I think that's really key. And again, that series game four or game yeah, game four will be taking place tomorrow night, technically last night by the time you're listening to this. And then, of course, you have game five returning to Dallas will be taking place Thursday night, which will be the pivotal game five, either being up 3-1 or in a tied 2-2 scenario. We'll see what happens in that scenario. Hoping for 2-2 because you know I'm a big Dallas Stars fan. I'd be fine with Dallas getting another win that way because I think I did mention this earlier. I want Seattle to win the series at home, which would be in game six. So. Who knows if the Kraken are going to right the wrong and they're going to finish the series in six games in Seattle. Finally see their first playoff series victory as a franchise, so who knows? Yeah, and our last series is the Oilers versus the Vegas Golden Knights, where it's currently tied at one. Vegas took game one, six to four. Oilers took game two, five to one. And clearly we know who Dylan is rooting for. Dylan, what are your thoughts been on this series so far? Well, I would have liked for Vegas to take both games because I do think Vegas has played a lot better this year when they're at home, when they're on the road. They're a lot more of a 500 team at best. So the situation here is that they lost game two at home and now we're going to Edmonton for two games, which could be a do or die. We just need to steal. We. Wow. Shoot. Um, <laughs> Whoa. Is still, wow. Golden you heard Knights. it on your first. Dylan has, has transferred fan oh. bases from the Islanders to the Vegas Golden Knights. But the Vegas no, Golden Knights kidding. just win one game in Edmonton, I think, is the goal for them. If you come back to Vegas, there, I said you. If you come back to Vegas at game five, all even up at two, with two more home ice games to go, I think that puts Vegas in a really good position. Obviously, would have loved to be up two games to zero. But one-to-one, not the end of the world. I am seeing this thing that says Evander Kane blows a kiss to a Golden Knights fan while she flips him the bird is apparently the number one (laughs) hockey story on NHL.com right now, which is interesting, and I wouldn't expect that to be the number one story, but okay. Um, Yeah, your thoughts on the series. Well, that's coming from another Evander Kane quote where he says, if you're going to F around, sometimes you're going to find out, where he repeatedly punches a Vegas Golden Knights player on the ground. Yeah, what player is that? I don't think he's um, a super well-known player because I can't think of his name off the top of my head. This is Evander Kane of the Edmonton Oilers fights Keegan Yeah, okay, King Colser. So, uh, to be fair, the reaction for that, I never like to see a player punch another guy when he's down, but Keegan Colser was the one who started that fight, and it's the playoffs. To be fair, the refs are just standing there, so (laughs) if they, like, went in and actually cared, I think the fight, they would have just broken up the fight, but clearly they didn't. I mean, Keegan, the Golden Knights started that, so that's his infamous quote of, you're going to find out, so... I don't love that in terms of a player's safety perspective, and you never know that could give the guy a concussion. But if you're dropping the gloves, normally the assumption is that once you're on the ground, you're done trying to fight the player. But again, it's the playoffs, and it's Evander Kane, who just has so much character and personality. It's a great way to put it. Yes. But I I would like to say that the Oilers right now – I mean, Leon Dreisaitl has been dominant. I think he has 11 goals just in these playoffs, and I believe he's only played seven, sorry, eight games. So that's insane. And Connor McDavid, once again, is is coming back into true Connor form. And then we also have really great playoff performer Evan Bouchard, defenseman, who who would have thought seen this coming? He's He has so many assists right now and is really helping – the Oilers continue to be the Golden Knights. And of course, the last topic we have to discuss about the NHL, if you want to get into this set quickly, is that the Anaheim Ducks are now 
not on the clock yet because it's like the NFL. This isn't like Major League Baseball where the worst record automatically gets the first overall pick. Of course, for people who don't know, the NHL is like the NBA in that there's a draft lottery to determine who gets the first overall pick. The Anaheim Ducks finishing with the worst record to have the best odds of landing that pick. That's followed by Columbus and Chicago. So if you want to take people through either, A, the process of what happens, as well as sort of what's expected to happen, what's going to happen, any draft prospects you want to get into, just the draft. It's a topic. Yes, so the draft lottery is... Monday, May 8th, tonight, so technically two days ago when you're listening to this. But what happens, so the NHL actually recently changed a couple of rules saying that there's only a couple teams that have the that have odds to even get the number on overall pick. But there's basically 14 balls where the 14 balls in this machine that will pop up um, a number for your team. But the obviously the team that finished last has the best odds of winning the first overall pick but you also see a lot of teams moving up a lot of picks or a lot of spots to get a high draft pick and i recently the nhl did limit i think the most the maximum number of spots you can move up is 10 now so if you finish like 14th where you almost made the playoffs like you're buffalo you're not going to have any shot of getting the first overall pick um, but previously that wasn't the case. But basically, it is a draft lottery, so it's very much up to chance. So even though Anaheim was the worst regular season team, they could theoretically get like third or fourth overall. And there, this is supposed to be a very, very deep draft for the NHL, um, specifically with Connor Bedard. He has been the highly, highly touted draft prospect for forever ago. I mean, um, he's been on like the world hockey stage with the world juniors over and over again. Um, and then we also have Adam Fantilli, who currently plays at Michigan, who had, I believe he was actually the Hobie Baker winner. Um, but he had a fantastic season in Michigan in the Big Ten. So we have a lot of, a lot of, um, draft prospects uh, allegedly apparently this is what I'm hearing is that a 2023rd like or 2023 like third round pick is the equivalent or sorry a t- how do I put this a 2023 third round pick is the equivalent of a normal drafts second round pick there okay. we go which speaks to the depth of um, this year's draft. All if right. that makes sense. I think it makes sense just also adding on to how likely it is because we mentioned, it's a lottery pick of how likely that worst team is to get the first overall pick. And from a study, this is from 2021, so two extra drafts or one extra draft has taken place since this draft occurred. But it is under 50% of teams that come in worst place that actually get the first overall pick. There have been a couple twos, a couple threes, a couple fives. And then in a recent year, we technically had the 14th worst team ended up receiving the first overall pick. Yeah, I mean, every single year, there's always people that think the draft lottery is rigged, especially looking at, for example, in the in the 2010s, I believe the Edmonton Oilers got three number one overall picks just in, like, the 2010 to 2020 uh-huh. with, like, Connor McDavid, Nail Yakupov, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. But they, again, changed the rules so that you can't win um, consecutively, or I think there's a limit on the number of times you can win the number one overall pick but there's always always people that are draft lottery detractors who think it is rigged so that's definitely very interesting but you know what i really hope um he goes to columbus or vancouver i think immediately when you get the number one overall pick your team's future just completely changes honestly could see him in arizona that could be fun too I think it's also good to have, like, when you have a young superstar like that, go to a team that you think there's a chance that they actually do good in the next couple of years, and that I get that one player is able to transform the team up to a certain point. But if you go to a team that is awful and downright horrific and you're the only good player, you're not going to be able to create sort of that much of an imbalance, and the team's going to go from worst place to a playoff contender. But put them on one of those teams that's in the 4-6 to range right now, and who knows what happens. Yeah, I mean, well, Connor Bedard is projected to be one of like the most exciting prospects since Connor McDavid. Yeah. Wow, all the Connors. And we saw with McDavid how he's I mean they he has dry yeah. out obviously, but him and like Sidney Crosby, how they're so highly touted that they can yeah. really just change the fortunes of the franchise. I mean, the Pittsburgh Penguins were on the move. We're almost gonna be relocated until Crosby came in and then they obviously won lots of rings. But 
that's what the expectations for Conor Bedard are. But you never know, especially with how high expectations are. And specifically, I would just mention Nail Yakupov when he was drafted number one overall by the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, he was just a complete flop. <laughs> so sometimes that gets them. But I see Conor Bedard really just going in immediately and making an impact. All right, save the clip, file it. Two years from now, we'll come back to see yep. if he's actually a superstar or if he's no longer in the league and he's just working in a Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> Playing right. in Russia, I don't know. Yeah, something could happen. But we did also just mention and talking about that there was a fan incident in the Oilers versus Knights series. We did also have a fan incident slash, I don't know how we want to describe the situation that occurred in the NBA playoffs by no means. Yeah, by no means are either of us experts in the NBA or in fan experiences, but we think we have enough information about what kind of happened in this situation to talk about it. If you want to just give a brief overview of sort of what happened, who's in trouble, a suspension is apparently on the line talking about that right now at the NBA, but take it away. Yeah, so in game four of the Suns versus Nuggets in the in the second quarter, um, Nikolai Joke oh my gosh, I can never say his name. Yo Yochich Jochich? Oh my god, you guys. <laughs> he tries to get the ball back um from a fan who he thought was a fan. But it turns out it's Sun's new owner, Matt Um Ishbia. And then other fans are also trying to get involved in this scrum where they're trying to keep the ball away from from him holding on to joke jets oh my gosh guys i'm sorry for my pronunciations um his jersey pushing and shoving him and then ultimately the player puts a forearm into the owner to sit down but not it really wasn't even it was literally just him trying to get the ball back um but he says the league needs to protect the players better and there's ultimately no fine or suspension as of today but he did get a technical in the game um, so I true a lot of people are saying this was targeted. He knew that it was the owner, like he was already like giving him a stare down before this altercation happened. But I truly don't think this was the case. If you see the scrum, there's so many fans involved. He's truly just trying to get the ball back, and the owner is like ducking from him. Like he's honestly, to me, I think if he were any other fan, if he wasn't the owner of the Suns, he would get to- gotten tossed out of the game. But Dylan, what are your thoughts on fan behavior? Do you think it's out of control? I know you were mentioning it with the MLB where a lot of fans were sitting really, really close to what was it, the dugout? Yeah. Um, but do you think some fan behavior is going too far in these playoffs? Well, recently? I think it's, it's really important that the Suns owner came out and said there shouldn't be a suspension, there shouldn't be fining, and none of that occurs. Because if all of a sudden he says oh, it was rambunctious, it was obnoxious, suspend him. Now you've got an issue on your hands of does the NBA side with the player or does it side with the owner? And remember that the commissioner of all sports work for the owner, so it seemed pretty apparent that if the owner's coming out saying suspend him, fine him, do whatever to him, all of a sudden you would have a suspension for, I think my pronunciation got up, Jokic. Sorry, Jokic. Um, Clearly I cannot say his name. I've really tried, but... (laughs) Thank you for that. But apparently with fan behavior, you do have to remember sports is entertainment. As much as we want to say sports is different than your favorite TV show, it's different than sort of going to the movies, sports is kind of like, and maybe this is a bad analogy, the gladiator fights back in ancient Rome where people would spend their Saturdays watching people get whatever happened to them in the gladiator ring. That's kind De- of what... Like mauled? Sure. Demolished? Yeah. I don't think that's happening now. Limb hopefully. ripped apart? <laughs> but people would show up and that would be their show. Here, obviously football stadiums, you're in an arena. Hockey, you're all around a rink. In baseball, you're all around the field. It's Look kind how Dylan like... getting these terms right. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. I got all three of those I at know. the same time. But it is sort of like that. that there are 40,000 people in the case of baseball. Football more, hockey a little less than that. But they're in the arena to see a show. And as a result, especially coming from New York, I know that when they think they don't see a good show, we, yes, we, this is a we, we This boo. is a we. This we. is a we. Sorry, Dylan should say I. This is not a we in terms of Dylan and I. This is we in terms of okay, Mets, we New Yorkers. Islanders, Rangers, Nets, all of them. Yes. Okay, New Yorkers, boo. If Tomas Nito of the Mets goes 0 for 3 with three strikeouts and loses the game, we boo him. Most fans probably do even more than that. If Daniel Jones throws a pick six and the Giants lose the game, people call for his head and want him eliminated from the team despite being extended a month ago. 
that's just part of That's just what's going to happen when Aaron Rodgers gets on the field. True. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be half of the world is going to be chanting stuff at him in his own yep. ballpark stadium. Yeah. I, I almost had all of them right. But I think it is sort of like fans, I don't want to say they have a right to boot. Obviously, they shouldn't like get physical. But right. I think screaming at players, it's almost like <laughs> it's what players. you sign up for, kind of. Yeah. If that makes any sense. I mean, here's the thing. I recently saw a video of um, European soccer. Okay. And it's actually insanity. Like, they have, like, what are those called? Flares? Mm-hmm. And, like, literally, like, fire. Like, and they're all, like, chanting. And, like, it's, like, they have these elaborate chants. And it's, like, the entire stadium is, like, red. And it's just actually insane. But I think, so, when you talk about, like, the booze and stuff and, the mm-hmm. um just like voicing your opinion i think that's totally fine i think it's when you get physical and yeah. start throwing beer cans at players when when you're grabbing onto players jerseys i mean that really only you only get that close up in in basketball i would say but when you're that close um to i mean almost physically harming the player i mean it's not really you're not really going to harm them but Still, I think that becomes that really calls fan behavior into question. But I would say the U.S. sports dynamic, especially in comparison to like European or South American soccer, is just completely just not on the same level. And I think an interesting thing, because I know you mentioned baseball had an example where that there was a fan that was leaning over because in Oakland, and again, another reason why the Oaklanders have to move. Soon, now, like get them out of there. <laughs> we talked about but this. But players need to go into the stands in order to exit the field. The dugout leads out and into the stands. There's a tiny little walkway that there's like security guards lined up. Yeah. But basically, fans have all the access layout. in the world, and the players have to go through the fans. Now, obviously, most of the times it's respectful, it's nice. Mike Trout walks by, all the kids are trying to get an autograph. This time, a, cho- a fan decided to use some choice words towards Anthony Rendon. And Anthony Rendon, being a human who's been in a bit of a slump for the last couple of years, doing well this year, but just in general has been, you know, not as great as he was living up to. His contract is big and his performance has been small. He decided <laughs> that was the perfect opportunity that a fan finally got on his nerves and he grabbed him by the neck, choked him in the collar like this with his shirt, and said, are you talking to me? And, of course, the fan gets that and shuts up and doesn't say a thing. Wow. But that's an incident where it's like, is it the player's fault? Is it the fan's fault? Because the fan is naturally just going to boo and taunt. We don't know exactly what was right. said. I assume something was said that caused that big of a reaction. But is that just Anthony Rendon is a human? Maybe this is me being pro player. Anthony Rendon is human. And imagine <laughs> you were just walking into Leo's, the dining hall, and someone just starts, like, screaming at you or cursing at you or saying you suck or stuff like that. A, you'd probably think he's crazy. Yeah. But, but B, you'd be like, that's not like, what did I do type of thing? To yeah. It. So it's a weird, I don't know who's in the right, who's in the wrong. Something's clearly yeah. up, but like. I mean, I think they're both in the wrong. Yeah. Like, Randone didn't need to stoop down to that fan's level to get into that altercation. I mean, there's plenty of security yeah. lining that. And if we're talking, you know, Anthony Randone's image, I mean, yeah. people are already hating on him for his on-field performance, mm-hmm. I I don't think this helped him no. in general. So I'm going to say I think it – there are also other instances in the NBA where we've been talking about how, like, suddenly um, a player might, like, curse out a reporter or, like, <laughs> they'll just be really not happy with the fans. And I get that because to a certain point, it's like if they keep pushing your buttons, like, to a certain point you're going to explode. But I just think you're a public figure, like – you can't be acting like mm-hmm. that. And obviously the fans shouldn't be doing that either. But I just don't think as a public figure where you do have a lot of young fans, you yeah. can be getting physical where you're almost choking out a fan. I will say, though, Anthony Rendon over the previous two seasons was having a two thirty batting average. And since the choking incident has a batting average of three oh two. So wow, maybe it who did knows something. if the anger channeled yeah. out of that, he just needed to erupt. And now all of a sudden Anthony <laughs> Rendon is good at playing I know. Again. Suddenly, maybe that's what he needed. <laughs> All right, are we are we talking about this last subject that's on the docket right yeah, now? Yeah, I'll let Dylan kick this off because we gave him a deadline of of this past weekend once the Miami Grand Prix happened. So 
this is a lead off into our Formula One segment. So, of course, as we mentioned, the Formula One Grand Prix took place this weekend in Miami. And, of course, there was a lot of anticipation. This was the first race in the United States in months. And, of course, that meant we had a little deadline here on the podcast and that I needed to understand and learn and be able to sort of lead a recap on Formula One <laughs> by the time this race happened race correct term yes i'm actually so interested to hear what dylan has to say so of course the anticipation was building we're back in the united states in miami and the anticipation was not disappointed the stars were all out we had tom cruise serena williams shakira (laughs) were all in attendance he's just talking about the attendance don't worry i'll get to the actual race i was about to to say game i corrected myself good job and so there was apparently some controversy with pre-race announcement players were upset that their names were being called in miami dolphins cheerleaders were apparently like cheering them on and stuff like that they just wanted a regular <laughs> pre-game announcement but after some controversy players, after the pre drivers drivers <laughs> shoot he's getting he's getting um acclimated okay so we have after the controversies shoot after the controversies your favorite as well as the betting odds favorite max verstappen took he's home not the my win. favorite He's not? He's just who I think is going to win, yeah. But okay, he's well, unfortunately not Fortunately, not my favorite. Well, he did win, clocking it at an hour, 27 minutes, and 38 seconds for the 57-lap course. He maintained his title as the champ of the Miami Grand Prix because he did win last year as well. So this is a back-to-back championship for him as well as a back-to-back championship for Red Bull. This is the second running of the Miami Grand Prix, and he's won both of them so far. Red Bull also continued their dominance as they also had the second place finisher, I learned in this race. Sergio Perez came in five seconds after Verstappen, which apparently is a solid margin for a Miami Grand, or for a Grand Prix in general. Five seconds doesn't seem like that long for me, but apparently yeah. it is. It's a big deal, so we'll go with that. Um, and then we had rounding out the podium was, of course, Aston Martin's Fernando Alonso, my guy, coming in third place. However, he guy. was 26 seconds after Verstappen. This is Alonso's fourth podium finish in the last five races. But however, one of the more intriguing storylines that took place in this race was how relaxed and comfortable Alonso was and that he didn't have, I believe, eight seconds ahead of the fourth place finisher. And as we just mentioned, 20 seconds behind the second place finisher. So he was sort of in his own lane, doing his own thing for the most of the race. And apparently he was watching TV in the middle of the race. He acknowledged that he was sort of in a turn. He didn't have anything to do. He was in sort of... <laughs> nice and easy mode and he saw one of his teammates overtake an opponent he was cheering he congratulated him on the radio during the race which seems kind of impressive to me and that he's able to watch tv and go at 140 <laughs> miles an hour at the same time so that was a cool thing to see still my favorite and he's apparently showing off now too but max verstappen wins sergio perez in second and fernando alonso finishes in third two weeks from now f1 will continue its spring season with the pronunciation Amelia Romana Grand Prix. <laughs> um, yes, that was pretty good. Go. That was pretty Stappen good. will continue to look, or will continue to be dominant. Um, uh oh, that's a typo in my notes. But Verstappen will look to continue his dominance as he's also won at the Amelia Romana Grand Prix twice yeah. before in his career. So he'll look to make it a three peat in this upcoming race. Yeah. And that is your Formula wow. One recap. Wow. Good job, Dylan. Yeah, the next race is in Imola, Italy, so they'll be going far. But just, I mean, I don't have that much to add. Let's go. I really like that analysis. But I will say, this really just, you were talking about Verstappen winning, then Perez placing second. This just speaks to how dominant Red Bull has been this entire season. So currently, Formula One has had five races. Out of those four, Red Bull has placed one and two in in four games and in the, or sorry i just games. said games look at that whoa look at i'm that. still in the nhl playoff mode sorry in four races and even the one where they didn't get one and two verstappen still won in australia and paris got fifth so it seems like the gap between red bull and other teams is still very very large despite having all of april to retool their cars and they will be having their mid-season break to also retool their cars as well. I know Charles Leclerc of Ferrari, who finished seventh, did talk about how that gap is still very much existent. And he didn't perform that well, especially compared to last weekend. I mean, Ferrari got fifth with Carlos Sainz and then seventh with Charles Leclerc. But to be honest, not strong performances, especially considering how good their car was last year. But we see... Mercedes starting to do better as well. 
with George Russell and Lewis Hamilton getting fourth and sixth. And even though their car still isn't up to standard, a lot of Mercedes fans have actually been really unhappy with it and calling for Toto Wolff's head. Not his head, but they're just, they're really just um, trying to get the car to be better. But, you know. And we also have Alpine doing pretty well, pretty consistently, finishing 8th and ninth with Gasly in 8th and Ocon in ninth. So I will say now, because this is our last episode before, I believe, August, if not September, depending on when we get back to campus. So unfortunately, since this is a podcast and it will live in the internet forever, it's time to make some bold predictions. And you're not prepared for this because I didn't tell you this was coming, but well, this is why we have some fun. And to round things out, we've got a couple sports topics that by the time we come back in August, they will be determined. And they are not determined right now. I have one per sport if you're ready for it. Yeah, I'm ready. I mean, this is the best way to round out our our first season of the podcast, you know I love a good, bold prediction. So number one, pretty easy for the NHL. By the time we come back, the reigning Stanley Cup champion will be... Edmonton Oilers. All right, that was confident too. I mean, I've been saying this for the past few weeks. Obviously, I want the Carolina Hurricanes to win or the Dallas Stars, but I can't switch it up, and I'm going to stick with my Oilers pick. I will go with the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Just because I've been on that train for a couple weeks yeah. now, I'm going to live it through, and we'll see what happens with the Islanders by then because I would have picked them, but they're gone. I know. They're irrelevant. Dylan mm, thinks yeah. that their coach, their head coach, Brad Lambert, is going to be fine. Lane Lambert. Lane Lambert, nice. sorry. <laughs> I just said Brad because the Columbus Blue Jackets coach, Brad Larson, got fired, but Lane Lambert is the Isles head coach. Can I also make another bold prediction in that Lane Lambert not only gets fired, but he gets immediately hired after this by the Nashville Predators reuniting with Barry Trump. Oh, that's um, actually a GM, good prediction. And make him the next head coach. That's actually a really good that. prediction. Look at that. I really like that, Dylan. Now, of course, we just need the the Predators head coach to get fired first but <laughs> after that happens I like this some I like this matchup so yeah so we need Lane to get fired we need the Nashville Predators head coach to get fired yeah, but, yeah I really see that then happening. I see if that happens you know. there's gonna be a reunion and there's my bold prediction look at that wow that is a bold prediction well who do you have then winning the NBA I hate Boston I hate Philly more yeah. don't get me wrong there and currently Philly is playing against the Boston Celtics so one of the rare instances in my life where I'll be rooting for Boston sports teams to win. Me too. <laughs> I think if Boston wins this series, which I think they probably will, I'm going with the Celtics to win the whole NBA championship, which as much as I don't want the city of Boston to be cheering for a championship, I'd much rather Boston cheer <laughs> than Philly, and I just don't wow. know if any other team in the East is going to defeat the Boston Celtics. Wow. I picked the Nuggets, so I'm going Nuggets all the way through. I had... Nuggets beating the Heat, or sorry, Nuggets beating the Knicks in the finals. But I was going to say, it's not looking good for the Knicks, considering how well the Heat are playing. But I have the Nuggets. I'm sticking to them. I mean, we talked about this fan behavior. I think this is just another little hurdle where they can get over the hump and they'll, they'll be able to win. And I think there is some pressure for Jokic. Is that how you say his name? Jokic, I think. Jokic. Yeah, let's go Where this is the year... Playoff expectations have really come for him, and people are really wondering if he can get it done, and I think he will. So I'm going Nuggets. Topic number three, because that was my topic number two that you just stole. So topic number three, Shohei Otani has requested that if the Angels are not in a playoff spot by the trade deadline, he would like to be moved and change teams. So is Shohei Otani, by the time we get back, a member of the Los Angeles Angels? Oh, that's hard. That's, that is a hard one. That You really sprung that on me. It's also a situation where, because I'll be honest, I don't think the Angels will be in a playoff spot, but it's also will the Angels actually pull that trigger and trade him, or do they just ride out the last two months and say we'll take our chances yeah. in free agency? I mean, I think they're going to they're gonna respect the wishes of Otani. I, okay, the Astros aren't currently doing very well, and I'm very upset about this. <laughs> But it's currently in the AL West. It's Rangers, Angels, Mariners, Astros, Athletics. Mm-hmm. I, I The margins are thin. I mean, the Angels are barely above the Mariners and the Astros. Uh, do they get it done? I don't know. I also think if they're close enough to a spot, they can say, let's just finish out. I think it's his probably contingency is if we're like, 
seven, eight games out and there's no chance of winning, then right. it's like Right, I just me. think they just want to be competitive. Yeah. I'm going to say he stays. But if he doesn't stay, I see him becoming a member of the Dodgers. All righty. And I will go that he is indeed traded. It's time for a mega blockbuster. And by August 3rd, the MLB trade deadline, Shohei Otani will be suiting up alongside Juan Soto and the San Diego Padres. Wow. And then the fourth and final, because this would have been an Aaron Rodgers question. This could have been a Lamar Jackson question. Football season hasn't started, so I didn't know where to go with the NFL. So I just went with the plain, boring, and simple question. By the time we come back, Tom Brady will be playing or will he be retired? He will definitely be retired, even though he's probably going to be asked 30 more bazillion questions on if he's coming out of retirement. But speaking of retirement, though, this is like one small thing. Sorry, I know we're doing recaps of everything, but Commander's team (laughs) really tried to will Andrew Luck out of retirement because they've been really struggling with their quarterback, and apparently... Um, Jim, okay, I'm, I'm Ursa, so, yeah. I'm not about to say his last name correctly, but Colt's owner would say this was tampering. <laughs> it technically is, it is, because the rule is Andrew Luck, when he retired a couple seasons ago, he was still under contract with the Colts. Yeah. He just said, I'm taking a beating on my body. I'm 28 years old. And I'm already having like brain yeah. damage and stuff. Get me out of the league. I'm pretty sure he's a CG. really smart guy. Exactly. He's got a lot of, I think he started his family already and all that stuff. So he just said, Get me out of the league. Yeah. I just want to be a regular human being. I've made my money. Apparently, <laughs> in this report, the commanders decided last year when they were having all their quarterback problems that they decided to contact every <laughs> single possible person imaginable. <laughs> yep. Other than it says, other than Tom Brady and other than division rivals. Everyone else they called and said, would you be willing to trade X? This include phone calls to the Chiefs about Patrick Mahomes. This included a phone call to the Bills about Josh Allen. And then this also included calling other people who hadn't played in the league that year, such <laughs> as Philip really Rivers, desperate. such as Ben Rosselsberger, yeah. and apparently including Andrew Luck. <laughs> the problem with Andrew Luck is that he's still under contract with the Colts. Yeah. So they can't talk to him. They would have had to talk to the Colts, Colts. about him. Yeah. All the show, the commanders are a mess. And even though yeah. we thought we got rid of Dan Schneider last week, I know. he's still he's, around. Yeah, I know. But I see both Andrew Luck and Tom Brady staying in retirement. Sorry, Commanders. <laughs> Can I make a caveat? Sure. I think Tom Brady is associated with the Dolphins by the time we come back. Why not the Bucks? Because he doesn't. I don't think they'd ended well with the Bucks. I think yeah. Tom Brady either is if Tua gets hurt, Tom Brady comes and be the quarterback for the Dolphins. There's no way. And if he's not, <laughs> I think Tom Brady is a partial owner in the Dolphins by the time we get back. I think hmm, he lives very in Miami minority now. Oh yeah, hundred percent. It would be like a point one percent. I mean, we ownership. talked about how now he's like ownership of like a WNBA team, yeah. so maybe he'll expand. I think he's got the itch for football. There's the rumor he's now turning down the Fox contract of four hundred million dollars oh, because he wants to spend time with his family. So, or people are saying he's turning that down because he's getting ready to play again. <laughs> but. I think there's a chance that Tom Brady wants to be a family man down in Miami, and what better to continue his football itch than also becoming an owner. Wow. Look at that. That is a prediction. And my question for you is, I mean, I think we'll be back by the time this happens, but mm-hmm. do the Mets make the playoffs? Yes. They better. <laughs> is that I, you being like, I expect them to make the playoffs, or you you think they I genuinely the think, just like, I don't know, Astros fans – aren't panicking right now because you guys are like, all right, we're going to win 95 games regardless. It's just a little <laughs> bump in the road 40 games into the season. Mets fans have the biggest roller coaster in sports. And I don't think this is an understatement. As you've seen throughout the offseason, I had from the lows of Jacob deGrom to the highs of Justin Verlander to the lows of losing <laughs> Michael Conforto, the highs of getting Edwin Diaz back to the lows of Edwin Diaz blowing his knee out. <laughs> like literally... So many. That happens. Yes. And now we're at the point where Mets fans are calling for Buck Showalter to be fired. There's calls for the general manager to be fired. There's calls wow. for every single player not named Alonzo, McNeil, Nimmo, and Verlander to be cut. So What about Drew Smith? I love Drew Smith. 
That's <laughs> Dylan and I had this conversation. We're like, who is a Mets player for me to root for? And it is now Drew Smith. Yeah. Because he's from Texas. Unlike Brett Beatty. Yeah. Sorry, Brett Beatty. <laughs> but everyone's calling for the Mets to like change up the culture, change up the locker room, because there seems to be a sense of complacency with being a 500 team. And maybe it's just they know things will go mm. right because they have too much talent. Justin Verlander pitched okay in his first start. Max Scherzer is statistically the worst pitcher in baseball right now. <laughs> Let's so go. I don't think that'll live up the rest of the season if it does. Yes, the Mets aren't going to make the playoffs, but they're going to turn it around. Yeah, I don't We're see confident. Yeah, I'm like, I don't see Scherzer like, being that bad for the – there's so many more games left. Unless he did actually cheat all the time. Like if he's been using the sticky stuff for years and when he got ejected 10 10- – days ago yeah. if you remember that story if that turned out to be like I mean that didn't even that really career. change like that I feel like that didn't even impact his pitching that much in that game yeah but we shall maybe see. it's a mental thing you never know like I feel like that suspension and having so much media controversy around it that can you know take out your confidence or you can just be focused on that and now you feel like any wrong move you're just gonna have be suspended he also claims he's pitching injured right now which i feel like in baseball and this is gonna be very anti-player self-claiming he's self-claiming he's has discomfort in his right scapula that's here somewhere okay but he's self-describing that he is scapula pain which of course to me at least just sounds like a excuse but we shall see what happens there with Max Scherzer. That's so interesting because when you're talking about complacency, when I think about teams, guys don't normally report upon their – well, I guess in, in the NFL and and um, NBA and NHL, I feel like they don't typically want to report their own injuries. Mm-hmm. They'll let the team handle that, especially because a lot of times players just want to play and they're going to play through whatever injury and they just don't play because their team doctor says, no, you cannot play. Yeah. Um, or it's, like, so painful. But, like, I mean, you hear about everything that goes on in the Stanley Cup where we were talking about how Patrice Bergeon played through a herniated disc. And mm-hmm. there's just so many, like, people play through punctured lungs. Like, just insane. And, like, yeah, now we have some discomfort in the scapula, which obviously, I get it, he's a pitcher. But to be self-reporting on your own injury self-reporting is Self-reporting in an article to the New York Post. Not even, like, an announcement coming from the New York Mets. Oh, this is wow. an article being released this morning. That's Actually, no, so this interesting. at 3.34. Technically, while we're recording this, Max Scherzer knows his injury could get a lot worse. He just doesn't want it to break. It's right scapula discomfort for now. Interesting. I mean, I'm not one to judge. I'm sure he knows his body more, but I'm like... There's, I just feel like it's different when you keep it within your organization versus when you directly speak to media about it because you know you're going to get a lot of people jumping on you yep. for not performing well. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least the Mets are doing better than the Cardinals. So that there's is true. That. <laughs> that is, it's a positive. It's not a very big positive, but it's there. Correct. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, that pretty much wraps things up. We hope you have a great summer of watching sports, whether you're a NBA, NHL, NFL, MLB, F1, golf, tennis, pickleball, all of the above. Horse racing. Horse racing. I would just like to say, seven more horses died in Churchill Downs before the Kentucky Derby. Oh, yeah, the Kentucky Derby (laughs) happened this weekend. Congrats if you paid attention to that. It was a very big upset. I think the odds were like 1 to 48. Fun? Yeah. Maybe? Um, We don't cover horse racing. No. But... Um, I would just like to say that I did send, I was like, maybe Dylan, we need to start talking about this <laughs> because of the animals that have been dying leading up to this. <laughs> okay. But yes, any and all of the sports, thank you all for tuning in for our eight episodes of this season. And we're excited to come back better than ever in the fall. I mean, I think we did pretty good this semester. So I know better than ever type of thing. But sure, we'll right. go with that for now. Um, <laughs> Maybe more positivity more from posi- Dylan well, about his team. Well, if the Mets come back in like fourth <laughs> place, we'll see. But yeah, thank you so much for listening to us throughout this semester. We really hope you enjoyed it. We were so thankful to start this literally on a whim in like February. We said, let's do this. And by March, we were recording episodes so extremely happy and thankful for The Voice for giving us this nice little platform to do this on and unless there's anything else you want to throw in yeah I would just like to say thank you Dylan for actually coming to me with this idea because now we have such a great time recording of course so until the next time in a couple months the turf is burned